there's a creepiness to making a human a humanoid robot. I think many people share that view. At the same time, I, I also recognize that a lot of technology is creepy until it's not. Welcome to Humans of SaaS. I'm your host, Ben Wynn, and on this show, I talk to entrepreneurs, innovators, and leaders from the tech industry who each have a unique and compelling story to share. Today, my guest is Mike Murchison, CEO and co-founder of Ada, an AI chatbot startup leading the way in automated customer experience. They also recently raised a whopping $130 million at a $1.2 billion valuation, which gives them the incredible rare Canadian unicorn status. They also have an extremely unique founding story that I'm excited to dig into. Welcome, Mike, to the podcast. Hey, thanks, Ben. Great to be here. First and foremost, congratulations on the recent unicorn status, hitting the $1.2 billion valuation. Must be an exciting time. Yeah, it's been a it's been a really exciting time for our team and you know, nice to get recognized for all our hard work and, and all the success our clients have experienced. So we're really excited about the future. And and I think, you know, with these new with this, you know, $130 million of resources behind us, there's just so much more we're excited to build. Lots of things that that we're all uh, we're all looking forward to. I wanted to ask you about the origins of Ada and how you founded it because it's quite an interesting story. You and your co-founder were working seven different customer service jobs at the same time, correct? That's right. Yeah, the, there are very, very manual routes to our automation company. Our origin story is that we, we roughly six, seven years ago, were working on a completely different business that was focused on, on social search. We we're very interested in the future of how one might reimagine Google in the era of the social web. And we built a, a social search engine that was growing very quickly at one point and encountered this customer service problem. We couldn't scale our customer service operations in line with our, our user growth. I think simply put, that just really bothered us. David and I sort of come from a, a background of, of, of being really motivated to build delightful software. Delightful, easy to use software. And we really have a lot of respect for the craft of, of great products. And I think any, everything we've ever built that's even been remotely valuable has come from a really tight feedback loop with our customers. Mm. And... You know, so much so that in the earlier days of, of even earlier software we, we built together, you know, we go so far as to, you know, include our customers' names and release notes that featured mm-hmm. new features that they recommended or that they played nice. a role. And, and I think closing that feedback loop was, was just so important to us building uh, something valuable uh, and almost, you know, bestowing ownership, one could say, you know, of your product, you know, to your, to your customers. And, you know, I, th- I think I've, I've sort of long been interested in this idea of of ownership. I think we, it's sort of intuitive in the in the physical world. Mm-hmm. I know you just grabbed a cold brew, probably from a coffee shop around the corner from you in in Brooklyn, and that coffee shop, you know, I imagine you feel some sense of ownership over. It's your coffee shop, right? Mm-hmm. You know, we 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 have this relationship of ownership with with our physical businesses that we we frequent. But we very rarely have that relationship with our digital ones. And I started to learn why as our company was growing really quickly. And, and the reason why is because as most businesses get bigger, they try to talk to their customers less. That's what the prevailing customer service playbook is. is let's, we, we, we're going to invest in technology and systems and people and processes that actually enable us to reduce the number of conversations we're having mm-hmm. uh, and not increase them as we grow. And that's because customer service 
has long been treated as a, a cost center. So simply put, I, I started to see this happen within our own company. I started to see us go from knowing our customers' names to treating them as numbers that we were trying to keep at bay. I just honestly found that very curious. So I, I became pretty obsessed with the customer service software landscape. I use virtually every product in market. Mm-hmm. And my co-founder, David, and I ended up cold calling a lot of VPs of customer experience. We asked them, you know, how are you scaling your, your customer service? How are you scaling your customer success? What, what role um, do, does conversation volume or interaction volume play in your future strategy? And almost everyone sh- laughed and shared that they were also focused on keeping conversations down. Right. And it was when we heard that probably the 10th time in a row that we went back to those VPs and asked if we could join their team as agents. And seven of them said yes. And we made the tough decision to pivot the whole company into the customer service world. Mm-hmm. And for the better part of a year, we were employed by these seven different teams as agents. And we responded to thousands and thousands of customer service inquiries, you know, ourselves. And that, that was definitely the low point, I would say, of our entrepreneurial journey. A lot of people were asking us, you know, what, what the hell we were doing with our lives. Yeah. Because we were working some pretty, pretty crazy hours. But I'd say we, we learned, you know, a few key things. We learned that 30% or more of the inquiries we were responding to were repetitive and mundane. Mm-hmm. We learned that the... Uh, agent experience of responding to customer service inquiries was pretty lackluster. The software wasn't designed to empower us as agents. It was you know, really designed, in fact, to sell more licenses, sell more seats. There right. was actually a, a software incentive on behalf of the vendor to actually reduce agent productivity so that they could mm-hmm. sell more agent licenses. That is weird when you think about it. When you take a step back, you're like, wait, yeah. that's, that doesn't make any sense. If your goal is to solve a problem, you're just putting up barriers so that they can then pay you to unblock those barriers. That's right. I think it again, it's grounded in this in a different, an older paradigm. I think um, I almost think of that now as like a you know SaaS 1.0. You don't have value based pricing. You have just sort of basic seat based pricing. Yeah. The third thing we we observed is that you know everyone wanted to, all our colleagues wanted to message, and text with their customers. In other words, they wanted to have the kind of customer experience that they had with their friends and family. You know, they wanted to be able to, mm-hmm. to chat over WhatsApp and SMS and Facebook Messenger. And every time they, they brought that up internally, it was always rejected because the view was, hey, these things, these channels are going to increase our customer volume and we're trying to decrease it. It was on the back of those sort of three observations that we kept our heads down became you know month amongst the most pro- productive agents on these teams just just through sheer effort and we we saw that you know churn went down we saw that mm-hmm. agent uh, attrition went down turns out that our colleagues really loved their jobs so much more when they weren't answering how do i reset my password for the 50th time of the day and they were thus empowered to focus on higher value more complicated challenges mm-hmm. And then we learned that customer service data was so valuable and really should have been informing company decision-making. And it was really on the back of, of that that we started to build software that made our, our lives more productive and, and easier as agents. That's really when Ada was born. You know, we, we took a, a machine learning approach to that because we had access to so much data. Mm-hmm. And then we focused on making those machine learning techniques easy to use because all our colleagues were, were non-technical. 
Right. And we knew it worked because we didn't get fired. Our managers didn't didn't notice the difference between our human powered responses and our agent powered responses. And our colleagues really loved us because again, they were now focusing on complicated, challenging, intellectually stimulating issues, which from the business perspective were actually tended to be more revenue generating in, in nature. And it was just a win-win-win for everyone involved. And um, that that's really what led us to the, the proof point that we felt like Ada could become something that was very valuable. Um, and the last four years have been really about taking that software and giving it to other other brands who who are who are employing it similarly. Was there like a, a surprise moment when you revealed that you'd been automating your jobs, or are you still employed at these companies today, still collecting <laughs> your support no, paycheck? We, for we were definitely doing? transparent about it. Um, <laughs> you know, once once we saw it, it it working, and like the value of the software is is really only experienced the extent to which it it automates some manual process, the extent to which it scales something that one can do in the physical real world. The fact that when we did reveal this, that our colleagues, like they were just focused on the value that it created. And I, I think that that's a, that was a really important lesson uh, that sort of reaffirmed our, our initial view, because I think there's a lot of technology out there today, a lot of software out there, a lot of AI powered software out there today that assumes some, impl- some inherent value and that, that I think is actually divorced from real world impact. I really do believe that the most powerful technology is built when when one understands the underlying manual processes best. And the extent to which you can understand those manual processes actually puts you in a position to build better software. Absolutely. I mean, we have a a saying, I guess, broader startup. I've heard it in different places, but just the idea of nail it, then scale it. That Mm. idea of figuring out a problem, figuring out the solution, and then building something to to solve for it instead of jumping right into let's make something cool and super valuable and then sort of translate that back into value. It's here we figured out what's working. Now let's figure out how to do this at scale um, without compromising the value. Yeah, I think that's another great other way to put it. Yeah, in other words, if you if, if you don't nail it first, there's no way to scale it effectively. Mm-hmm. And I love what you said about, because I'm curious about the what you said about agents wanting to interact with their customers through things like iMessage, WhatsApp, mm-hmm. like wanting to do that. I answered support tickets for a while at my previous company through Help Scout, and you know, mm-hmm. it was a lot of like, canned responses, password reset 50 times a day, all that fun stuff. But it was still quite formal. And I'm also someone who's just like any excuse to build a relationship with someone or relate to them on more human level, that's mm-hmm. that's what I'm drawn to. Like, is that the reason you think they wanted to use these other tools is just because it feels more human or organic or or was it just easier for their workflow? What do you think, what was your sort of hypothesis as to why they wanted to go outside of a standard ticket system and use these other tools for their for their job? I think I think it's a, a number of things. One, I, I agree that a huge motivation was the desire to connect more empathically with customers. And I think, you know, customer service agents, in my experience, uh, are amongst the most empathic and caring individuals in any organization. They also understand the customer best. You know, I think, mm-hmm. you know, product leaders tend to, and PMs and, you know, some engineering leaders tend to think that they understand the customer best. The reality, in my view, is that almost always it's, it is your customer service team that understands your customer best. And so there's a, a natural uh, tendency to to give the customer what they what they want, mm-hmm. and I think many uh, customer service agents that we observed and our, our colleagues 
wanted to give their customers a better experience, one that was allowed them to connect more more deeply. You know, two, I I would say that there's like the, the the value of that experience to the customer. There's also something about the value of the experience to the the agent. And in, in theory, you know, responding over SMS or over messaging allows you to handle multiple conversations at the same time. So there is a productivity mm-hmm. uh, a gain from that over something like voice, for example. And then I, you know, I, I'd say that like if there's a third reason, I, I just think that we're in the very early innings of what a great customer experience is in a digital first world. And a lot of our colleagues were really interested in experiences that blended different channels together. And I think we're still in the very early innings of what those experiences look like. But you, you can imagine that the experience one has of being able to unify you know, a voice interaction with an SMS exchange, with an mm-hmm. email if it's required, can unlock something that's greater than the sum of its parts if done effectively. Right. Yeah, I just I just think that like in a mobile first world now, like if you're not messaging with someone and everyone's on their phones and you're having to send an email, you're you're also just conveying something that I think that increasingly is perceived as being outdated. So in in terms of where Ada's headed, is that part of the vision, right? To go beyond go beyond chat and start expanding into voice and sentiment analysis and sort of these other areas uh, that you can link together and like you said, create something that's better than the sum of its parts. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we, we, are, we are focused on being the automation platform that powers all brand interactions. And what we mean by that is all touch points that exist between a brand and all of its stakeholders across channels, messaging channels, text channels, uh, voice channels, different types of conversations that are both between customers as stakeholders of the brand and the brand itself, employees of stakeholders and the brand itself, and mm-hmm. prospective customers and the, the brand itself. So there's a lot, I think, to look forward to around that. And I think the, the customer experience bar that we're all sort of accustomed to as consumers today is in the process of being raised considerably over the next few years. Something you said earlier resonated with me because I noticed such a difference, I'm sure you do as well, in technology that like software platforms that are built, you know, in the last three to five years, and then sort of the previous generation of or the legacy technology in the industry, you mm-hmm. you don't even have to know, you can just look at the UI essentially, and like the homepage, and you know, if it was built in 2010 or 2018. And I, I, I think the word you used was delightful. It, mm-hmm. It's technology that just there's something welcoming about it. And what excites me about what you're saying, you know, I think some things that it, it might be a hotly debated topic, but in customer success, sometimes we'll talk about if you're on a texting relationship with your customer, is that a reliable indicator to any degree of their health mm-hmm. score? Should that be factored into right. their propensity to renew? Maybe in a big way, maybe in a small way. But what I can say anecdotally is that every customer I've had that I've been on a texting basis with has been, you know, one of our top kind of customers. This was at previous companies. So it was always my goal to get to that point. And I think if you build a system, sounds like you are, <laughs> that makes it very easy to, you know, to remove those barriers and just be like, this is the standard of, of our interaction. We'll meet you where you are. Here's how we'll message you. And it's not in an invasive way where you have to sort of weirdly ask your customer for their number, but it's a bit more seamless and it sort of removes some of those barriers. I think there's a ton of opportunity there. It's really exciting. I totally agree. I think the, the old world which I agree, you can see when you when you visit many of these websites that uh, of you know the software that powers the old world is I think governed in part by a view that customers should conform to the business's needs. Mm. 
the customer should meet the business where the business is at. The customer should is forced to speak to the business in the business's language mm -hmm. during the business hours in the channels of the business's choosing. Right. And the future of customer experience that we believe in is the exact opposite. The, the brand conforms to the customer's needs. The customer can speak to the business on their own schedule, in their own language, in any channel they desire. And I think it's the brands that are able to facilitate that shift soonest that are the ones that uh, are going to going to confer an advantage in in their in their markets. And uh, that's one of the reasons why we love working with some of the most you know progressive and innovative brands in the world uh, because they get that. They get that customer experience is a competitive advantage, and the extent to which they can meet the customer where they're at will will yield a better experience and ultimately more more growth for everyone. I mean, speaking of incredible brands and growth, I wanted to ask you about Zoom because you guys signed Zoom as a customer at the like apex of their, not the apex, probably even just the beginning of their, you know, exponential growth over the last year and a half. And as a marketer, I'm like, that's very exciting. And as a former CSM, I have like heart palpitations on, on behalf of your team because I know the kind of lift it would take to support an organization of that size and complexity and growth. So I'm curious, like, what has that been like internally? It's been an amazing experience, and we, you know, we we love our partnership with with Zoom. We started working with Zoom right at the beginning of of COVID, and you know, we observed and played a role in their growth from you know roughly 10 million daily active users to over 300 million daily active users in the span of I think it ended up being about six or seven months, and so that that sort of meteoric growth I think was really exemplifies the kind of growth that you know digital first brands around the world are all striving for and the kind of growth that's actually possible in a digital first world that meteoric zoom growth is not something that was really possible 10 years ago right. and so when you start to realize as a as a as a business that these things the zooms of the world and their scale can be achieved in such a short amount of time it changes, I think, the way you think about your tech stack, your customer experience strategy, and the type of software um, that is part of it. And I think it's it's there that it's even more important that you know you as a, a business leader are, are working with solutions that you know are grounded in that new paradigm that you and I are talking about uh, that allow you to scale quickly. So I, I think that, yeah, it's been there's been so many valuable. I think it's very reaffirming. So many valuable learnings from continuing to work with with Zoom, and and I think that they've done such a great job of of setting an example of how customer experience can can scale for other brands. Today's show is brought to you by Catalyst Software, the fastest growing customer success platform on the market. Catalyst gives you unmatched customizability, a seamless bi-directional Salesforce integration that takes less than five minutes to set up, and a world-class customer success team that'll be by your side every step of the way. Let's be honest, whatever you're currently using might be good enough, but is good enough really what you're aiming for? Take your CS team to the next level by switching to Catalyst today. To learn more, visit catalyst.io. And if you aren't looking for a CS platform right now, you should subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn anyways. I make daily memes, we host all sorts of events, and we love to give away our swag, which has been called the comfiest swag in the industry. Again, check out catalyst.io to learn more. I was really impressed with Mike's founding story about Ada. 
not not just that it was innovative software that was really cool and beautiful, but the fact that he and his co-founder got seven jobs at the same time and then automated themselves out of those jobs. That is probably the most customer-centric, user-centric, you know, best way to validate any product is by doing the job. And then in that instance, it was just such a perfect way to prove the concept out. This was something that was valuable and useful and would actually work. I can only imagine that investor meeting when you're pitching them and you're saying, and they're asking you how you know it works. And you're like, well, we just spent the last year working seven jobs at once and we got no complaints. In fact, we were some of the top performers at these companies and we didn't actually answer those support tickets. It was our software. When you think about sort of law, because we glossed over, we jumped from low point where you're working, you and your co-founder working seven jobs and you're figuring out which way is up with this startup and mm -hmm. trying to write software on the side. And then we just sort of skipped four years ahead to where you mm -hmm. signed Zoom and you helped mm -hmm. them grow over a year and a half and then, you know, hit this crazy valuation. In between there, when you think back, were there any points where that stand out as just particularly difficult challenges, walls you ran into, points where you thought, Maybe we'll have to pivot. Maybe this isn't going to work. I mean, many. I think any any other uh, you know entrepreneur uh, in in the audience, I think, can share in the in the experience of of there always being you know core moments. There be there being it's a fundamentally volatile experience. I can think of um, a few that were particularly challenging. I mean, the first was definitely the pivot away from our social search engine to right. what ended up being an automation uh, offering. That was a particularly difficult move to make, uh, mainly because the the pivot really involved a shift away from working on software to towards you know manual effort and and really a, a focus on learning. That that was one that was was particularly challenging. And how long had you been working on that previous um, social search engine? Um, about two years. So it's not a quick thing to kind of throw out the window and say we're moving on this, no. onto this now. No, definitely, definitely not. Probably another one that, that that comes to mind is the evolution from Ada answering simply basic inquiries to answering uh, far more sophisticated questions and ultimately automating tasks and processes on behalf of customers. You know, that that was a, a a shift that was technically very complicated for us to to accomplish, and I think challenging for us in the you know from a marketing perspective to you know, help educate the market about really the difference between right. automating a basic question and automating a task in a process. Can you give an example of autom of what a simple question might be and what a task or process might be? Sure. Yeah. So a, a simple a simple question in FAQ might be, you know, how do I reset my password? The you know, automated response might might be, hey, follow these three steps to reset your password. The the more sophisticated response, the automated action that I'm talking about might be, you know actually completing a payment automatically in a conversation for a customer or making a change to their account or proactively reaching out to them and uh, based on you know their if you're an airline based on your your historical you know seat selection and meal plan selection mm. and offering a discount because you're a valued customer interesting in other words things that processes that are typically performed today by uh, an agent who's clicking around in an admin panel while you're on hold on the phone, uh, Ada is automating automatically and, and doing so in a proactive manner across channels too. Th that's been so exciting because our our clients 
are sort of enabled with a new toolkit to create experiences that just weren't possible before. And it's been really exciting to see how they're creating with those things. But technically, it was very, very challenging for us to figure out how to do that. And still, there's still so much new things and many new things we're building that are, are going to make that experience even better. So in terms of you were talking about that as being sort of one of the major obstacles that came up over the last few years, was that sort of an ongoing thing that eventually just through kind of sheer will and tenacity was solved? Or was, was it something where it was we're locking our engineers in a room for a week and they're not allowed food or water until they solve it? Like what was the... Uh... I think it's it's it, all the, I mean, all the above. All the above. I, would say, <laughs> I think that part, part of the reason it's so challenging is that simplicity is really hard. Like one of our core values at Ada is simplicity. We, we, we fundamentally believe we're in the business of fighting complexity, making mm. complicated AI easy for everyone. What, what the evolution from sort of basic automation to more advanced task automation and process automation really represented to us was a dramatic increase in complexity. There's really a, a company-wide effort to you know, really triple down on our simplicity value and figure out how how can we do this in an intuitive and easy way that's really empowering for non-technical users. That that remains something that, you know, is essentially one of like the drumbeats of our company. Like where Ada is, if you look at the forward uh, looking challenges ahead, like we are in the process of dramatically introducing, and there's another step function of complexity coming around the corner and, there's, and thus there's a premium on on simplicity yet again. I think that's one of the things that 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 we really pride ourselves on is is you know again you know focusing on the value we create, not assuming there's inherent value to the software we we provide, and enabling businesses brands to deliver just a fundamentally more elevated customer experience that they that they have the tools to create on their own. To to bring to bring your other question back earlier, there's like increasing amounts of entropy as a business um, gets gets bigger. And uh, it's sort of an interesting observation for me internally as you know our, our CEO, because while this sort of environment is increasingly entropic on one level, in terms of the number of the complexity you're fighting, on another level, it's, it's much more stable and that things are far more repeatable and, and more organized. The, the intersection of those two things, I'm sure if we were to visualize this somehow, might, be, might yield some interesting conversation at some point. Oh, definitely. But I love the tenet about simplicity. It's something I think about from a marketing perspective all, uh, constantly is how can we say whatever we need to say in as few words as possible? Like editing is a lot harder than than writing. And as someone who talks a lot, uh, it's something I always have to challenge myself on is, you know, can I cut this down to like from 50 words to six words? If I can do that, people are more likely to read it, understand it, all that kind of stuff. And sounds like you're doing the same thing, but with, you know, much larger scale with technology, you're taking increasingly complex technology, AI, machine learning, and then simplifying that into something that maybe you don't need to understand all the inner workings, but you can create your own workflows with it. You can use it yourself without having a degree in computer science. That's right. I mean, we, we, we talk, you know, the other metaphor we use a lot inside Ada is, is that of an autonomous car. If Ada is a car, our goal is for, for you to get in the car, pick your destination, and Ada will take you there. And that destination is some sort of customer experience goal. You know, today we've built the equivalent of automated lane changing, probably, you know, mm -hmm. autonomous highway driving. There's still a steering wheel though for a considerable part of your journey. You know, our, our goal from a product perspective is to remove the steering wheel. And that's what so much of our company is designed around helping you understand how, 
how your relationship with the car is different when there is no steering wheel eventually. You know, yeah. do you, are this, is the seat configuration different? Does the journey change? Is, does, the, does the vehicle become something different than one, one previously ima- imagined uh, when the steering wheel is removed and you're just focused on your destination? And again, it's this sort of thinking that I think is you know, very much in keeping with our conversation earlier about like this new paradigm, the automation first paradigm, no more licenses and, and ultimately like a, 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 a rootedness in like the value the software provides, not in the, it's just access to, to people, for example. True. It, it reminds me, what you're saying reminds me of, of actually something Elon Musk spoke about, which was, he said, all input is error. That's how like he views everything they build and design. Mm-hmm. And I, I love that as a philosophy. And it sounds just like what you're describing, right? It's that idea of intuition. It should know where you want to go. It should know what you need. Like if you could go to a website or, you know, a, a vendor that you're, you're using and it already knows most yeah. likely what you're there for, or you indicate what you're there for, and then it takes care of the rest and it's a seamless experience from end to end. It's attainable. And I think it's we're on the precipice of that. So I'm excited to get there because I think it'll make things so much better for both consumers and for businesses. Totally agree. I think if you know, another thing I think a lot about is sort of the the state of software today in the eyes of history, mm. and you know, building on what what you just said, you know, I, I think that most software today is sort of the equivalent of the experience within it is sort of the equivalent of like 19th century assembly lines. Right. You know, there's so much manual work that's performed. You know, you're moving a cursor from here to here, you're clicking buttons, you're filling fields. There's a lot of repetitive manual effort that's expended by we as people inside digital software. And the future of that will be fully automated. And our role will be elevated as people to something that's far more strategic than it is today, much like the assembly line worker of, of, of the 19th century in you know, Detroit, making much, much more, on average, making much more uh, complicated decisions than they were on average, you know, 150 years ago. So keeping keeping with that analogy, what are your thoughts on, best way to phrase this might be, you know, are, are, are we headed for a Detroit situation mm-hmm. with these advancements in, in AI? You know, obviously strategic thinking is, is great. Everyone wants to be more strategic and more proactive. Yep. But what comes generally along with that is you need fewer people to do the same amount of work or more. Um, mm-hmm. So you, do you think we're headed into something where there will be, you know, a lot of retraining needed or new jobs mm-hmm. created or, you know, this sort of shift? Or do you think it'll just sort of empower everyone to do the job they're already doing, but better? On, on average, brands are going to speak with their customer base far more than they ever have before. Our clients are, are typically tripling, quadrupling the number of, of touch points they have with their customer base uh, right. before versus after ADA. And what's res- what that's resulting in is actually new roles. So it's a shift in where people are spending their attention. And the, the role is, a, is being shifted away from speaking with customers reactively towards speaking with really high-valued customers or really complicated topics mm-hmm. where the conversation is much more consultative in nature. And then far more proactive engagements where you know, we are reaching out to customers and prospective customers pr- proactively. We're initiating conversations uh, in, in a manner that is not intrusive and delightful. And that takes that, that is going to be a much bigger industry than I think all of customer services today. As an industry evolves from being cost-oriented to revenue generative, 
its size is going to expand considerably and the number of people it employs, I expect will actually, will actually grow considerably. I think if you were to ask me that question three years ago, I would have had much less evidence to support that claim. And I think there's a, you know, there's a lot of the skeptics in the audience are like, oh, well, I'm sure I can hear the skepticism. <laughs> the, the reality is across our customer base that we the last three years have seen considerable evidence of new teams being created um, and this shift uh, happening in the real world right now. It speaks to a very exciting future, both for you know, the, the, the employment opportunities, the careers that exist that automation is bringing uh, mm -hmm. and the, the role that customer service, customer experience plays within uh, the average company. We're seeing it be elevated considerably such that the average decision that a business is making is increasingly being formed by customer service data. That, that speaks to, a, I think, a really exciting trend when we think about the, the types of roles that are going to be part of that. Interesting. So can you give me an example? Because I, I'm curious, like I... When you say the, the touch points are, are increasing, they're speaking more more frequently or on different platforms. Um, the touch points with the brand are increasing, but that doesn't mean that, but obviously the, the number of customer service representatives is not increasing to go along with that. The idea is that brands are able to communicate with more people more frequently with fewer resources or, you know, needing fewer people. What are some, can you share a couple examples you've seen of other roles that you think are, are going to become more popular or more prevalent in the future? Um, along with that sort of trend. Sure. Well, I, I would also just challenge the idea that you have fewer overall people. That's also not something that I think there's some some companies you know, will invest in a like efficiency cost saving strategy. Um, I think the most progressive ones that we see will focus on customer experience as a revenue generating department mm -hmm. or organization. And when something is revenue generating, when you know, for example, that reaching out to Ben more frequently increases the likelihood that he, he likes my brand and is willing to purchase again from us, your whole orientation around how you staff that and how you, you think about funding that, I think changes pretty considerably. To give you a, a specific example uh, of the kind of shift I'm talking about, you know, we regularly see our clients promote the top customer service agents in their contact center into a new role called an ACX manager, automated customer experience manager. The, the role is to build automated workflows and manage their performance over time and to identify new opportunities one has to create a, a, a automated first experiences. And those experiences aren't only pure automation. There are many times uh, frequently where that could be a proactive workflow that notifies you of something, mm -hmm. uh, but then facilitates a, a consultation or an appointment with a service representative or a consultant on the team. Right. It's the connection of that workflow to a, a business outcome for the brand that I think yields is going to yield to a, a pretty considerable expansion in the size of the average customer experience department over the, the years ahead. Interesting. Yeah, I, I like that the idea of shifting from sort of this like one to one like customer to customer service representative to sort of streamlining, facilitating more interconnectedness throughout the organization to the customer as well. Um, like that's, that's something right. that if that happens now, it's extremely manual. It's multiple emails of, hey, looping in this person, looping in that person, then you have this mm -hmm. whole email chain going, you know, to ultimately get the customer to their outcome. But I imagine it would take more people, more effort to build those sorts of systems that could do that sort of thing automatically, um, pull in the right people or, or float the direct, the right answer to the surface for the customer quickly and efficiently. That's right. Totally. I totally agree. 
where so in terms of um I wanted to because we talked about Elon Musk before, so I wanted to ask you what you thought about his latest announcement about uh, the robots. Oh, the humanoid robots. Yeah, the humanoid robots. They're gonna have like faces and stuff. Not sure how I feel. I know. I, I it's interesting that we have a tendency as technologists to anthropomorphize our technology. Yeah. I'm not really sure where that uh, where that comes from. I'm not sure. I, I think it, I think there's a there's a creepiness to making a human a humanoid robot i think many people share that view at the same time i i also recognize that a lot of technology is creepy until it's not true good point you know i i remember i don't know if you remember the early days of like aol instant messenger msn you know there's a real fear around the public that the lack of identity online mm -hmm. right the idea that one could be anonymous online uh, and that, that was perceived as a, a real risk in the eyes of the average person that, you know, you could be thinking you're talking to someone and the idea of talking to a, and you're not, you're talking to a total stranger. Right. It took time for us to get accustomed to that. So I'm not saying that humanoid robots are necessarily going to be something that we all are perfectly accustomed to that, you know, there are many technological trends that don't, but maybe eventually. And I, I, I do think that it comes, it kind of comes full circle to my, my point is that it's important we don't get distracted by how technology looks. Mm -hmm. It's important that we focus on the the value that the technology provides. It's ultimately the, the a focus on the latter that you know gives us the the greatest window into the future. Mm -hmm. And so if if there are robots regardless of what they look like that are able to automate repetitive tasks, much like we're seeing in like the picking warehouses of of the e-commerce industry, they'll probably persist and they'll probably be something that we will get accustomed to. Well, when you think about it, I mean, I'm, I feel like I'm already accustomed to chatbots, but a few years ago I wasn't. And I think we're at this weird adolescent stage um, where I'm either furious or thrilled, depending on the quality of the chatbot. And I can tell right away, either I know that my problem is going to be solved really quickly and to my desired outcome. And I can usually tell that even by the UI of the chatbot itself, or I'm like, this is going to be because I have to figure out what keyword it needs to see in order to connect me with an mm -hmm. agent. And this is the gate to the agent. So unless I get past their system, I won't be able to get the outcome because I know my question is too complex for this 90s looking UI chatbot. It's this like great and terrible thing. And I think as we get more used to it and as the quality of them improves, we'll just continue becoming more useful. But I think you make a great point, which is it needs to be providing value. Anything that provides enough value, we'll get used to no matter how creepy it is, I think. It's my I haven't thought thoroughly about that, but initially that's my inclination. I, I think so too, right? I mean, this is and this is just the history of technology. You know, think about the advent of fast food. How people were so upset there wasn't a sit-down dining experience, like the right. anonymity that that would brought that brought to our culture, and the the focus on speed instead of quality, or the focus on on speed instead of like you know personal connection. I mean, people were outraged about that transition, mm -hmm. but the reality is that fast food you know, is something that is totally normal today. Yep. And because a lot of, there's a lot of value in giving food fast. And so I think the same thing is true for, it has to work mm -hmm. and it has to be valuable and the form it takes will evolve, but grounding our judgments in the value it provides uh, is, is I think where, where we need to start. I love it. I think that's a great place to, to leave it. Mike, it was so fantastic having you on the show. Thank you so much for making the time. Hey, great to be here, Ben. Thanks as well. It was so refreshing to hear a take on the future of work that wasn't Mad Max. 
Armageddon, you know, end of the world. There's one job left and everyone's fighting it out for it. There's so much focus on the jobs that are going to be lost and there's not enough focus on the jobs that are going to be created. And I think the reason for that is because it's very difficult to predict what jobs are going to be created without knowing the technology. We didn't know that customer success was going to be a field until we switched to the SaaS model. And now it's this booming field and booming industry with its own technology and professional services and consultants. And, you know, it's, it's a huge part of the, the business ecosystem today. So who knows what new automation and new business philosophies and strategies are going to bring in terms of new jobs in the future. So while, of course, it's important to be mindful of the fact that people are going to be needing training and there will be job loss, there's also going to be a lot of job creation and ultimately it could be a net positive. So as an optimist, that's what I'm hoping for. Thanks so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed it, please rate us five stars and leave a review. Make sure to subscribe. And if you want to reach out to us, our email is community at getcatalyst.io.